What's up, y'all? <laughs> What's up, Jay? What's up, David? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How y'all doing? Hanging in there. It's not like I haven't already asked you this question, so I'm just doing this for all the thousands of people that are watching this. Exactly. The 10, the 10, <laughs> people, the 10 people who are watching this. <laughs> we understand our status quo. We understand our status quo. Um, but welcome to the Film Roundtable, uh, which is um, what I hope today will be is just an intimate conversation between us who we don't, I don't get to see you guys enough. I don't see you guys at all anymore. It's just that um, you guys are off making films together and I keep getting left behind. So this is the only way I could uh, see you since uh, 2013. You know what I realized was, uh, I think, either this yesterday, like this past Monday, or next Monday is like eight years to the day since we started shooting Saints. Wow. Crazy. Before, but before, we, uh, before we, we, we get into it, um, you know, we try to every, you know, the, the film roundtable basically came out of this idea of trying to rethink, um, <clears throat> rethink this whole film conversation, virtual film conversation platform. And, um, so, you know, we're trying to, we're just trying to do something different. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that really ignited it was just the whole, this whole uh, COVID tragedy, really. Um, some of us are now calling it COVID violence because that's what it feels like. Um, so, you know, you know, what we try to do every session is take a moment of silence for those who have lost their lives. Um, today, um, close to 540, over 541,000 people um, have lost their lives. And since we last, um, since our last session, 106,000. So that's insane. Um, and also, you know, just back to back, um, you know, we've, we've, we're also renegotiating our, not even renegotiating, we're just coming to a realization that there's some other things happening in our country and our world that we really need to wrestle with. Um, so what we try to do is number one, take a moment of silence for folks who have lost their lives to COVID, but we also wanna take a moment of silence for um, all of our black, brown, First Nations folks who have also lost their, 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 their body, their spirit, their mind, their culture, um, their sense of being to state-sponsored violence, whether it be by, at the hands of the police or through genocide, through transatlantic slave trade. We really wanna take about 30 seconds just to sort of think about them and, um, just let our ancestors know that we they're on our minds and know that we stand on the we stand on the shoulders of giants. That's the reason why we can have this conversation today. So let's just take uh, about 30 seconds to to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Nah. Thank you. All good. All good. That's why we do this. Indeed. Moments to reflect. You know. I sometimes like um, am asked like, what are the most memorable moments like from your filmmaking career, and and they're always the ones where you're not doing anything. 
It's always like the ones where you're on set waiting for something. You have a time to just like think about something else. Yeah. And and those are the ones that, that stick with you. Yeah, man. I know when I know when I'm making when we're making, I'm, I'm in another place. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so the puncture, the puncture that bubble and allow you to remember like the world that you're in, that you're making them within that really those are the, those are the, the ones that I'll carry with me. That's it. That's it. I mean, I think, you know, we talked a little bit over the weekend, um, just to be totally transparent with everybody on here. So I'm hoping that we can bring some of that energy back. We were having a very, we were, I mean, more than anything, we were just like reflecting on so many things. It wasn't even about specific details, but it was just kind of about, which I think would be fun, but just kind of reflecting on, we met in 2012, right? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, 2012, officially. And, you know, I know personally, photo, personally as a cinematographer, as a, as a storyteller, like something happened to me on that film, on Ain't Nobody Saints, you know? It like, it changed everything for me, you know? Um, my whole concept of self, my concept as a, things that I wanted to achieve as a cinematographer, I was able to, um, really approach and execute on that film. And part of the reason why I felt so free to do that is because, man, you, David, you created an environment that allowed us to feel really free to follow the story and really make a contribution, you know, and that, that early in our career, it was felt, you know, it felt tremendous, you know. Um, but I also want to remind, you know, folks on here, and, and this hopefully we can start a conversation about this, but like, I think the one person that's probably missing from this conversation right now is Malgoja, but mm-hmm. you know, the four of us, and for the sake of this conversation, the three of us, it was like, I mean, there was nothing left behind. You know what I mean? It was not, it, it was, every, everything was in equal parts, you know, it was, everything was in equal parts. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, especially you, you David, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you, you curated the whole event. So it's not, you know, it wasn't like, Somebody told you, you, you went out and you looked and you, and you, I know you and Jade had already had a relationship, but you knew each other, but you went out and you looked and you, you curated the situation so that you could have this, the film that you made. It was, it was designed that way. You know, the original draft of the script was like 60 or 70 pages and it was pretty, pretty slim because I wanted it to be a movie where everyone could bring something to the table. Like where I wasn't like saying, here's the story we're telling, here's how we're going to tell it. I was like, here's the structure and here's like what I want out of it, but what else can we bring into this that will make it something memorable? And the script did get longer <laughs> by the time we shot it because uh, I realized it's sometimes hard to get financing, at least at that stage in my life for like a 60 page script. But the, the, that you know, philosophy main, was maintained and Jade was there from the beginning when it was like a $100,000 movie just because we didn't know each other. But when I, you know, started looking for my other collaborators, I, one thing I do is I always just trust other people. And Brad, you had just worked with Jay and Lars on uh, Mother of George. And they, they showed me some of your work from that. And then I, you know, I'd seen Pariah at that point. And I was like watching a lot of everything I could that I could find that you'd shot. And, and something I realized then that is, you know, true now, and is still true when I'm like meeting new collaborators is like, 
I can look, I could look at your work and I was like, I love what you're doing. I love like how dark you let your images go. I could talk about the technical side of it all day long mm -hmm. and about how exciting that was. But then it was like, what Jane Lara suggested was like, you guys are going to get along. Like you are similar people. Mm -hmm. And we met up uh, at a restaurant and well, I don't remember what restaurant it was. Some restaurant in New York. It was a vegan <laughs> restaurant. Yeah, me and me and you and James, my producer, and and uh, and it was definitely like we just vibed. You know, we got we were on the same page temperamentally, and we had like this. There was like that spiritual click that you always look for in your collaborators, right. and and that's what I sort of thrive on. You know, because you can look at someone's work and know that they're talented, know that they're skilled, know that there's all that um, technical acumen that will make your movie look good or sound good or, you know, the performances will work. But if you don't have that, that more spiritual connection, then things are going to go skew. And I'm sure we've all had those experiences too. Like sometimes something, it just doesn't click and you're like, you can force it, you can kind of work around it. But the best collaborations are the ones where you have that, that connection. And with Malgoja too, like that was, she and I had met, um, we had a, my short film Pioneer was at Sundance with a short film that she had designed. Uh, and it was the same deal there. It was like, we were, we were communicating in fairy tale language. Like it was definitely like, uh, she felt like the right person for it. Uh, not because the short film, with um, uh, anything to do, to do with what we were going to make with Ain't the Mighty Saints, but just like she had that vibe. And that, that's what I'm always looking for. Yeah, and I remember when I first, when you first sent me the script, because for those who don't know, who don't know, David and I had known each other for a couple years before, I guess. Yeah, about four, three or four years. We made like a tiny little budget movie together that, you know, David edited and did sound for, and I was like acting and it was very totally <laughs> how we met but when you I remember when you sent me the script and it was at that time there was you know Casey wasn't attached and Rooney wasn't attached and it was just just very small and as soon as I read it I knew it was something special but I knew it was special because it was coming from you because I knew the person who was at the helm of it and there's so much there's just so much heart there and everything every project that we've done together there's always something that somewhere I can find myself and I think that's that's something that you bring that's so special that for your collaborators, they can always find a piece of themselves in some way. It is open a little bit to some interpretation somewhere where you can find a piece of yourself. And, you know, personally, I had uh, a story that I found in, in, in the Buddy Saints with my own parents, you know, and, and that was so yeah. profound for me. And, and you were so um, open and, and willing to let me sort of explore what, what that world was for me. And then it was just, I remember being so scared to remember at one point the movie almost fell apart when we were in prep. There's always those movies oh, yeah. for all young filmmakers. This will happen at some point where you think the movies the plug will get pulled and it feels like life is about to like stop. And you're just like, no, this is the movie. It's like, we knew it's like, I knew it was like, it can't, this is the one, this is the movie. <laughs> and it was so scary, but it, it didn't, the, the plug was not pulled and we got to finish. But I, I remember that feeling so profoundly, like just being so scared that the movie was going to fall apart. Because I just knew that we were on to something like collaboratively, just as, as in this, this group of filmmakers who had been brought together, we were, we were on this journey and it would have been so sad if it had just been like cut short. Right. What, what were that, since y'all, since you guys had already had like earlier conversations, what, 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 
you know what I mean? Like you could read Saints and it could be like really obvious what it is. You know, yeah. because there is an idyllic version of how you design that film, Jade. You know what I mean? I guess in my mind. And then there's like the version where you kind of embrace that, but then you bend it. Like what were you? Where were you? Where were you envisioning when you? Like where were some of the things you guys were talking about? What were you envisioning to make it not? It's so far of- away. I'm like trying to remember. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I uh, I haven't seen the movie in seven years, so I'm like, oh. oh. Uh, I was just looking at pictures. But we, uh, we, here's what I remember talking about. I remember talking about how the movie is not set in any particular place in time. Well, it's set in a very bigger place. It was set in Texas. That says that at the very beginning. But it's not set in any particular time. And we are evoking, you know, a certain era of the 1970s with, you know, certain illusions that the movie has. You know, obviously Badlands was like, the whole idea of the movie is like, what if we made an entire movie that took place like 10 minutes after Badlands ended right. and just slowed everything down? Like that's the idea of the movie. But beyond that, it was like, how, how much further back can we reach from that? And how, and what sort of, I, I, I keep, I use this word already to talk about Magoja, but like, how can we treat this like a fairy tale? It's like, we were dealing with archetypes. The whole movie was dealing with archetypes and that was the intent. But I like the idea of like taking archetypes and really digging into the mythological depictions of them and again treating it like a fairy tale that is unstuck in time to to use a a phrase from slaughterhouse five that i've just always wanted to use in everything um and and so we our our conversations were like how far can we push it i think that in all of our movies it's often yeah it's always about the cars it always comes down to at some point where we have to make the decision we're like well we're deciding to use these cars and these cars are, you know, that's where we always sort of make a, that choice. But we, I do think we are always interested in sort of a timeless um, aspect of storytelling where it won't age and it has this feeling where you can kind of set yourself in the story where that story can exist today. That's not something that only existed in 1970s. Like you can still see that story happening in 2020 somewhere in Texas, you know? It's yeah, we, we definitely like, I mean, when you get real specific like with cars you're like yeah there's a car there's a truck in that movie from 1985 that's like i think the newest thing in there and we're like looking at vehicles from like 1987 like those for some reason don't feel right right like the cop cars are from the 60s and and it's like none of that matters like the years don't matter it's more like the 1985 truck look like why does that feel right in this world how can that communicate with a wardrobe that is pulled from the Great Depression. Um, I remember when we have like these inserts of like newspaper articles, it was like real important to never show the dates, never show yeah. any like world events. And and that's not to say that those things aren't important or contextually that they matter uh, to stories like this, but this particular, in this particular vein of storytelling, I was like, I want to stay away from that. And, and you know, I've pretty much done that with all my movies, except for Old Man the Gun, where I was like, very purposefully going so far in the opposite direction that I have time stamped everything. So like the characters go to a dick on a date and you just put a giant supersized font timestamp on it. Like, you know, October 4th, 1981, you know, at 2.05 AM. It's like, we put everything on there and made it as located in time and space as possible just to try something completely different. But with, uh, with most of, most of the films we've made, it's definitely been like how, vague can we get and with that you know 
vagueness, you're able to process the emotion, process the information in a slightly different way. And it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I like the aesthetics of period pieces. I love, I love going time traveling when you're making movies, but I don't want that to ever be a, um, unless the story demands it, I don't want it to be a distraction. Yeah. And, and I know I'll make movies someday where that is, where you need to know, you need to know where and when this took place. You need to know how the world was when this story existed. But thus far, the films that we've made have not, have not mandated that. Right. Yeah, it's always a little bit more about the emotional intention, you know, and trying not to get too bogged down in the, um, the period element. But it's, and even as, as I think of, about what we're doing now um, with Peter Pan, it's like we're not, you know, it's still, even though we're set obviously in a time period, it still has the same sort of emotional quality in some ways to the other work that, that we've done. But it is. Um, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're having fun picking out what cars they drive in Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> anything. It could be anything. We won't, we will say, we won't say too much. We'll have to oh. wait. But, there, but there's like, a, Jay, I, I say it all the time. I, I mean, I'm like a big proponent for myself and everybody else about like, where are you in the story? You know, folks always ask me like, what's the first thing you do when you read a script? It's like, first thing I have to do is like find myself in the story, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, to some it might be clear where my story is in Mother George, but I was, I was, I had my own, I had my reasoning why Ain't Nobody Saints made sense to me. You know what I mean? There's like, there's a, there's a there's a sense of like romanticism I have around Great Depression era renegade stories, and it's not just the whole rebel lovers on the run thing. That's kind of not real. It it that does exist in the sort of zeitgeist of like Hollywood image making storytelling model. That's that's very romantic, but obviously doesn't never plays out the the way that it plays out in movies, but there is a sense of like egalitarianism and radical progressive thinking that um, that happened, you know, you know, post Great Depression, during the Great Depression, that really resonates with me. And I always felt like the kids in Ain't the Body Saints were like the grandchildren of that mm -hmm. those folks. You know what I mean? It was like Woody Guthrie's grandchildren, or you know what I mean? Like there's something. Oh, about, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that's where I was like, and that it was like I didn't really see, I didn't see myself per se, but I saw a period that means a lot to me politically, socially, artistically. There's a lot of sound resonance. John Pashan's photograph, you know what I mean? Like all of it from that period really stands out to me and really touches me because um, you, you see people struggling and you see people try, really overcoming that struggle through through pushing back. But I, but I say I to say that like you know. To you specifically, David, um, you know, I sent you a song recently that, like, really um, was very Texas to me. I don't know why. Like, I never really been, I've been to Houston before I worked with you, but Houston's a different thing. Than it's West a different West. thing. Yeah. <laughs> different thing. So, you know, until I, and, you know, we didn't even shoot in Texas. We did shoot some in Texas, but we shot, yeah. we shot most of yeah. for folks that don't know. But, you know, you're very Texas, you're very Texas. And there's something I'm curious to like, I just would love for, I think, it, I think it's really important for young people to hear like how you embed that in all of your films. Like all of your films, as Jay said, they have like this way about them. One of them, the things that I love about them is that they're very, 
they're always from the they're always from a child's perspective. There's always that desire. I see you always moving your hand that going lower. We talked about child's perspective many, many times on Anything Body Saints, even though it doesn't seem quite obvious that that's what the perspective of the film is, but you talk a lot about that. But where's like where where is that Texas thing? What is it about your process that is filtered through that? Am I making it up or is it is it there? I'm I'm just curious about your your origin and storytelling. You know, it's really to me it's very palpable, you know. I'm trying to reconcile with that myself these days because I, I'm still living in time in Texas right now. And I'm like, I'm like, what, I, you know, what do I love about this place? Like, why do I, like, there's so much about Texas I don't love at all. Like, there's a lot that is like frustrating about it. And I could, you know, count the number of things I do like probably on far fewer fingers than the things I don't like. But those things that I like are enough to keep me here. And, and part of it is just, is family, easy things like that, easy things like the, the comfort of, of just having my family close and having the, 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 the history that we've got here, my, my parents being from, my mom being from here and everything. But um, I think there's something about just the, especially like specifically in North Texas where I live, like, you know, in Dallas, three hours north of Austin, where it's like goes from like hill country to plains, just like the way that landscape, uh, gradually cast a spell over me and that sounds like romantic but it, that's literally what it was like I just really liked the way Texas felt specifically in the winter which is what people don't think about like I hate summer and so like those are things that like are are strange reasons to have ties to places but I really am inspired by the environment that I find myself in. And I'm like, I live in the city. I don't like live out on a farm or anything by that means, but you can drive like five minutes and just all of a sudden be out in the countryside and just see it all stretching out. And, and that is evocative to me and feel that you get that feeling of possibility. And that wasn't always something that I was drawn to, but as I, as I got older, like in my twenties, when I lost the, uh, when I lost the drive to like, live in New York or live in LA at all costs, which, you know, that was my goal was to get out of Texas and go there. And I just, I found like the pace that is instilled in you by a landscape, like the one that I'm surrounded by to be something that I could come back to. It was like a well that I could draw from. And, and then you start reading about Texas history and everything just gets really bad really fast. <laughs> and you really like start being like, man, what, like, what does it say about me that I like, that, like, like this place? Like, but, that goes for all of America and probably all the world. So a slowness to Texas. Slowness. Um, and you know, there's like that slowness. It doesn't have that pace in New York or, or Los Angeles. And, and I always, I, when I think of your work, there's like a, there's a patient in your work, you know, like that slowness of, of, it's, of it's not being afraid to let it breathe and the moment breathe. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a pace here. A, and I think you get that in a lot of like, in the South in general, Texas isn't the South, we're in Southwest, like people get mad at me if we ever say that we're in the South, but it's definitely like you get, there's, there's like that slow, you do get that slower pace, everything's less accelerated. And I, I vibe with that in a really meaningful way in that like that matches my own disposition. I talk quickly, but that's about the only fast thing that occurs in my life. I'm very, I like, I, I meander, I procrastinate, I like, meditate I smell the flowers I, I definitely like am 
a more contemplative, I, I like to take a more contemplative approach to life. I'm not like saying like, I'm a monk by any means, or I'm not like a, you know, trying to like make myself sound more spiritual than I am, but I just slow things down a lot. And that is something that I, I find here, especially now when I'm like, Zooming with friends in New York <laughs> or even in LA sometimes. Jade, you look, you've got a nice, uh, you know, quiet little oasis there. But like, you just, you know, I remember like living in LA and just hearing the traffic going by outside my apartment and just constantly. And like, here I'm just like, I can go outside and like, I went running this morning and I just don't see anybody. And that's just, that's kind of nice. I like, I like that degree of solitude. And that comes through in, in my work, I think. I think that's there. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't made a movie that's avoided that yet. Yeah, they're never crowded, right? I don't know. I, if I look at your past work, it's never crowded with people and lots of, you know, there's always sort of like some space. There is always space. And in, in, if I think about I it, I always, uh, I'll watch like the Safdie Brothers movies, which I love, and like wanna, I'm like, man, <laughs> man, how can I, like, some, there's, there's a part of me that has that energy. There is a part of me, and I'm like, could I make a movie with that? And I can't, like, it's just, I tried and I, I just couldn't do it. Like it wasn't going to work because I just don't have, I don't have it in me. And, and so that's part of like why I make movies in Texas, why like I live in Texas. And at the same time, like it's something I am, like I said earlier, this, to begin with this, this tangent on Texas, like it's something I'm reckoning with all the time. Where I'm like, I talked to Augustine about moving. Like we talked about this over the weekend too. Like, there are places. Uh, there are places in the world we feel like living right now, and sometimes they're not where we are in the, this particular moment in time. And it's like, what does it mean to just like pick up and leave? And and I, it it's mattering less to me now. Like there was a period in around when I made Anthem Body of Saints, where like if you looked at my bio, it just said David Lauer is a filmmaker from Texas, and that was it. And now I'm like, I don't know if that's important anymore. Right. Right. Well, that's a, but I, but I mean, that's my, but that's my whole, my whole image of Jade is, I never know what Jade is. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like Jade, Canadian. Jade's whole life story is out of here. Like Jade is on the move. You know what I mean? Yep. And like, that's, that was always between you, you, you and your sister Jade. I'm always just like, man, they're so interesting. Like I, I can never, number one, I'm always asking, where's Jade? Where's Jade's doing? And she's like, with Jorgen, so she's over she's somewhere doing something. And, but it's also what I know about you, Jade, is like, you know, that's a reflection of your family too. You guys are like, you guys are on the move because so you can connect. I, my, my interpretation of it is like, you guys are always on the, you guys are on the move or settling or thinking or your story is so, your story is so thick. And I think it's part of it is you guys like find out what works and when it doesn't work, you, you make a move, you know? And that's, yeah. that kind of, but I say all of to say too that um that's an interesting life story and how do you collect all of that all those experiences you have from la montreal whatever like how do you collect all those life? like where is that how did how does that inspire design how does that inspire like creating spaces for characters that you ultimately as a, a, folks never assume that production designers have relationships with character but you can't even design a space unless you know who the character you know what i mean I'm so living I, with all of them all the time. I, I feel some, sometimes I've like multiple personality disorder. <laughs> right, because right. You do have to become 
it sounds cheesy, but you become one with your characters. And sometimes it's funny because I'll finish a movie and then I'll be on like two movies later down the road and I'll see something in a store, like in a thrift store. And I'll be like, oh, this, this would have been perfect for like, you know, the Rooney and anybody stays because they stay with me like for so long and you see these items and you really have to, it's so like that, which is a reason why I always like to shop a little bit myself when I'm designing because sometimes you, you don't know it until you see something. And when you're obviously when you're building a world and you're creating stuff from scratch, you have to dig deeper into the well to figure out what those things are that, that are create you know, that those make up those characters and their lives. But when you're able to scout locations and you're looking, that's so much part of that experience is when you walk into a space and you can feel it, you know, and if we're looking for a house and you just kind of know, and that's why it's always so sad when you're looking for a location, you can't find it. Cause you're just like, it's just not here yet. Right, and you're just, right. you know, when the, when you and the DP and the, the cinema, uh, the DP and the director walk into a space and you all look at each other and you're like, you just, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, so it can be so, and that becomes a challenge for the designer when you, you don't quite find that place, but you know what it's supposed to be and you have to settle, you know, kind of have to find a location, you sort of settle on it. Um, you never want to say settle, but you make a conscious decision. Eventually you have to pick a location to move forward. And then it's about figuring out who these characters are. And I guess I always just build, it's like you said, I'm always trying to connect um, with the story on a personal level. Um, and I feel like if I can do that, then I'll always be able to bring more to the, more to the film. I'll be able to bring, leave more, you know, blood, sweat, and tears if I, if I'm emotionally connected. And I mean, Ain't Nobody Saints is personally, obviously there's a, there's a big, um, <laughs> it was very connected to my life. I mean, my father went to jail when I was a kid and my, and my mother to me was very much like, was like Rooney. I felt this, this, this like kinship with her and she was so strong and the idea that, you know, it didn't matter how much you love somebody. And like, I, I always see that. I don't, my mom's actually never seen the movie, but I, I thought, I remember reading the script and you would make changes and I would be like, wait, <laughs> like one of my long emails I write, David, <laughs> I've read the <laughs> I always write those emails and I'm always like, oh, do I send it? Do I send it? But I always send it. Um, yeah. I, now over the years, I don't get as nervous when I have to send, when I send you one of my long emails with notes of something, but that's how I, you know, I remember the first time I sent you an, a long email with notes, I was like so nervous because you're really putting yourself out there. You're putting yourself out there because you're so afraid. It's like this, you have these ideas and it's not your script, you know, and, and then you, you want to bring something you want to give and you want to be honest with yourself always when you're telling a story and you want to be honest with your collaborators, but it can be this, and I'm sure. Bradford and Dave, you guys have felt this. It can be scary to kind of put yourself out there sometimes when you, you might not, you think maybe your idea might be a little different, but the only way to push the boundaries and to, to really be true to yourself is to, to give that much of yourself away and to sort of say like, I'm not sure. And what about this? And then it's like, you always, something comes from it, whether you don't land immediately on the same idea, you grow together as collaborators when you're able to have those conversations, when you're able to actually talk about something you might not agree with and, and think about it, you uncover a little bit more of the story and a little bit more of the characters. So that's why I always find negative feedback so important because it's not really negative. It's just like, you're just lifting up some more of the dirt and you're like uncovering more information underneath. It's like, you know, an archeological dig. And it's just like, you're all in it together and you're trying to like piece it together. So I always, I find, and David just allows for so much of that that you can kind of say like, wait, I don't know. And but I count on it, you know, like I, yeah. I count on it because I think one thing that I'm sure there are directors out there who I know there are who sit down and like, here's how this is going to work. 
like this is what the shot leads to this. This is going to look like this. Here's our color scheme here. I've got a lot of that um, in my head. And then I leave a lot of it to be discovered with my team because I want everyone to invest themselves. But I also have to always acknowledge these things don't just like, you're not just regurgitating a movie. It's like you're pulling it out. And sometimes it gets stuck. And sometimes like in my attempt to get it out in a way that makes sense, things will get left behind. Things will, I'll, I'll, I'll forget about things. I'll overlook things. And that's when I really count on people raising their hand and saying, like Jade, when you sent me that email, <laughs> I got to remember that. And I was like, I was like, I got to make sure that I'm not, it's not so much of a case of like not letting you down because I never want to let my collaborators down, but I want to make sure that I don't overlook what mattered so much to you that prompted you to send me a three page email about your family. <laughs> and that stuff like, that's important. It's important like to get, I mean, that's why that email meant so much to me. And the ones you sent me for Green Knight have been like really helpful because I can forget about things. I can, I can, you know, stop seeing the forest for the trees really easily. It's, it's something that happens a lot, especially when we make as many movies in the forest as we do. Yes. <laughs> Little pun there, uh, dad joke, but, um, they all laugh. you don't hear them though. Lifted, <laughs> lifted out of Pete's dragon. I remember, I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a requirement. Like for me to hear from, my collaborators, like what matters to them? How do they see themselves in the story? What, what's allowing them to become invested in it? And that in turn helps me get more invested in it. It helps me focus. And then throughout the process, like it doesn't, like we were saying, it doesn't stop with, you know, when we wrap principal photography, it doesn't stop when the, you know, we're, when we're in the edit, like until the movie's out of our hands and is on whatever, you know, in theaters or on DVD or whatever, it's like, I, I want everyone to be, remain invested in it and I want them to help me like realize it because I, I need it. I depend, I depend upon it. And so like, that's why I'll send rough cuts, you know, <laughs> like that's why I'll send, I'll be like, what do you think? Like, and I'm always hoping for the best, but I know that like there are things that I have not figured out and I'm, you know, I wish I could edit movies quickly, but it takes me a while. Cause you're always just trying to like find ways to get all that stuff in there. Right. Right. And let me, when it's, and you know, I'll skip over, go, I'm gonna come to go, well, maybe we'll come, maybe we won't, but I think like hearing, hearing the meta of how you guys collaborate and like actually bearing witness to it, and, but then only bearing witness, bearing witness to it in real time, being with yeah. you, but then reflecting on it as I see the movies you guys have done, you guys have made together. Um, I'm wondering like, has making bigger films, let's take, I want you to say Peach Dragon. Let's talk about Peter Pan because it's like the most you haven't made it yet, but you are. Yeah. You will hope, inshallah, you will make it. But I'm curious to see. That's a that's an eight year period between working together. You have one movie not together. Jay, you've been off doing other films with other incredible directors. You guys now are on Peter Pan. This gigantic piece of like, you know, it's part of the again it's something that's like top of the zeitgeist. Like, where do you? How has how have bigger films allowed you to be? What's the question I want to ask? What 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 have what have bigger films um, added to your process? You know what I mean? Like if it, let's yeah. say a deficit of time, meaning it gives Jay more time to give you more 
notes on things or you, it gives you more time to give Jade notes on things or, you know what I mean? Like the old dream of like being able to build a set and it doesn't work and you tear it down and rebuild it. Like, are we making it all up or is that like now how does, how is that sort of those things that I know, I've been on the bigger films too. Like I, I, I know what happens. Like how has that, that format, that space contributed to what's essentially two filmmakers that really make very intimate films when you make it in the studio system, how is the studio system like help? Does it not help or does it just make things Interesting. Help? Like on, it's hard not to think back to Peace Dragon because it was our first real jump into the studio system and, and we did it together. And it was, we were both, you know, I mean, I can speak for David, but I remember just being like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And there was, the pressure was really, there was no outside pressure that I felt from the studio. It was more just pressure on myself to, to deliver. I mean, for David, you know, I didn't want to disappoint him because he had given me this, this chance and, and, and vouched for me to, to do this film. And, and that was, that feeling where it used to be on indie movies, we were like, oh, well, this is what our budget is. So we're going to make it work. When you have all the money, it's a different, um, it's a different stress. It's a different set of anxieties because now it's like, well, you have everything. So you've got to make it work and how do you make it the best it can possibly be and how do you stay true to yourself and to your vision while also working within the studio system and that's something i think we were very lucky to, to have um jim whitaker and adam borba as, as our producers because they're um they they didn't just hire a director and go like oh yeah you're indie director now let's make our version of what we want for studio film they hired david because they saw in him as, a, as the writer and the director a, a storyteller that could bring something to to Pete's Dragon or to Peter Pan. And, and they let David really, they, they support him and, and, let him, and, and let him sort of tell, uh, create the story that he wants to create. And what I think working on these big movies is more just, um, sometimes it's like, we have these conversations, David and I will be like, isn't it just me, but where's all the money going? And if we had $5 million, can we just do this? Like what is happening? <laughs> Cause no matter what, I'll tell you, for people who haven't done big movies, there's still a lot of no. You can't go there, you can't do this. And it's, and it's interesting when you come from an indie world where you're used to like, we'll scrap it together, we'll make it work, we're gonna figure it out and we'll just go there with three people and we're gonna like steal this shot, we'll get on the train, we'll do this. You can't do that when you're such a big studio film. You're just like so many, your footprint's so big. But it's also in this other weird, weird way we start to learn that you can demand stuff. So it's like this weird balance where it's like, no, you can't do that. They're kids. We can't go too far. And then it's like, oh, this forest, you want to build a road? We'll chop down these trees. No problem. We'll drop the crane on the river. It's totally fine. So it's like this weird thing where we're, we're still learning like what our boundaries are and watching David grow and being demanding, sort of being more demanding as a director and saying like, this is what I want has been really fun and, and, and amazing. And I'm always like, now I like to sit back when the line producer comes into my office is like, Jay, these locations are too far. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. David wants it. Ah, like, oh, you're not going to change his mind. I've done five movies with the guy. It's like, I know he's, when he wa when he's sold on something, that's it. And it's been, even for me, I've, I've had to, I mean, even on Peter, on this last one, on Peter Pan, we're not finished. There was moments where I, I, I saw the switch and I was like, I was adapting. I was like a little behind where I was like, oh no, wait, we're going to, fight more we're gonna like we're saying no to that we're not we're not gonna like just make that work like this is this is the direction we're like we're asking for everything we're, we're leaving nothing on the table we're just gonna go for it and i i had to adapt to that which is sometimes when you're working with someone for so long and you're like wait what's changing we're doing something different now <laughs> it's like i had to check myself and be like i must 
you know, fight harder for this for David, you know? So it's always, I think the thing for me is always like with Peter Pan, like you said, top of the zeitgeist. I'm like, it, it, I don't really care. It's not like I care about Disney. It's always me. It's like wanting to make sure that I'm facilitating David's vision. Like that doesn't matter to me, like the studio or the big movie. It's like, I just want, it's always like, I want to make the date, the movie that David wants to make the movie that we want to make. Cause it's like, I feel like our brains are always working. So I feel like I see it, but then I'm always wondering, am I pushing myself far enough? When you're on a small movie, you know, your limitations to get together of what you can do. And on a bigger movie, when you're building every set and it's just a warehouse and you can do whatever, it's always, that's the emotional burden. Like, am I going far enough? Can I go further? But then also like, don't just push further because you can. Don't go crazy just because, so it's like finding that, that balance. Like don't just do something huge and crazy because you can do it. It's always story, story, story. What does the story need? What are the demands? So it's like, that's always the journey. You know, when you have all the money in the world, doesn't mean you have to make a huge crazy set. I mean, and it's also, you know? the cautionary tale is heaven's gate, right? We don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I, hey, I want to make it. Hey, listen, I thought, man, that's the dream though. The dream is to in the dream to go make heaven's gate and just, we talked about that, like on Angel yeah, of Saint. I'm Trip. All the time, like we were like, we we're like, people would be like, "So what does this movie look like?" And we we're like, "Heaven's Gate." And about halfway through the shoot, I was like, "We only have 28 days. This is a terrible idea. This is a terrible <laughs> model to set for ourselves." And then it happened again on Green Knight. Um, I don't know if you've seen that seven-hour Russian war and peace from the 60s. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like a huge reference point for us. And we're like, halfway through that shoot, I was like. Why did we choose that one? They had, they had three years to make that. Same thing. They had military. Um, but, uh, we always do that. And then we're on, on Peter Pan. We keep thinking about Master and Commander. And we're like, they, they spent so time, much time building that boat. And it's like, even when you have a big movie budget, you're like, it's, you never have enough time. It's crazy. Maybe on Star Wars. It so quickly reveals itself. And Brad, I don't know if this was your experience, but like, you have, you have more days to stress about all the same things. That's basically yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. You just have more days to stress about the same problems. Yeah. And one thing that like what Jade was saying about the, you know, you are able to build everything if you have a higher budget or not everything, but a lot of things. And, and so when you're doing that, you really, you, you don't have those, the, the, the ceilings that you normally would hit. You're like, well, we could take this wall off to get the camera through, that's fine but you start having to really think about the stuff we were talking about with Anthony Body Saints, which is like, what, is, what matters to me about this? Like what matters to me about the way we're telling the story? And that is easy to lose sight of when you start like playing with your toys, you know? And, and one thing we did on, on Pete's Dragon that I think was really important was, you know, we, we built the house that the kid, that the family lives in. And that was, you know, not a huge build, but for us, that was the biggest set we'd ever built. <laughs> and we were like, let's, we're going to build a two-story house on stage. It's not going to have flyaway walls. It's not going to have moving partitions. No it's just going to be a house. And it's going to be wired like a house. And we shoot it like it's a location because that's going to get us that intimacy. Those restrictions are going to get us that intimacy that we want to bring to the story because ultimately we're not making a movie that's like a fantasy movie about mythical creatures. We're making a movie about a kid and his best friend and the family that he finds that, that, you know, uh, gives him something he needs in his life. And like those things require a different approach. We don't need to fly a through a wall just because we can. 
Yeah. Um, so that type of choice is the type of thing that like, it's important to like, not on Peter Pan, we're having rotating sets. So like, we're not obviously like immune to the ability to do cool things like that. Cause it's, they, they, they serve their purpose, but it's important to remember what it is that brought us to make this movie on a personal level, on an emotional level, on all the levels that money uh, is arbitrary to. Yeah. 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 That's, I was, I was, as you were, as you were talking, I was, I was, um, I was thinking about, and I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, oh no, I'm not actually, I'm not losing my train of thought. It's still directly connected to this, but no, this is, I was, I was, it's one of those things that I not plan, not plan on saying, but like, I think, um, I think the thing that we have to, when we're making smaller movies together and we, and, and, and we, we respect failure, you know what I mean? Like we respect, we respect the, we respect this proposal with the universe, with our creator, with whoever we are collaborating with beyond our, our own bodies that we, I'm going to try something, but if I don't succeed at it or I miss something or I, it's okay, you know what I mean? Because we look at those spaces as spaces to create. We look at those as safe spaces, so we, we're fine with, and we and ultimately for us in those spaces, we consider ourselves artists all the time, you know? Where, where we're making bigger films, we sometimes we're, we're more managing, it's more managerial, you know? Um, managing resources, managing people's expectations, budget, money, whatever. But I think that, you know, I think is this is not even this is nothing to maybe this will spark a, a small conversation, but I think that's the thing that we lose, man. We lose the sense of respecting um, failure. We 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 so caught up in providing people exactly what they want. Like for instance, when you're making smaller films, the only person you only the only the only existential element you think about when you're making a film is the audience. There's no middle, there's no middle person. There's no per person mitigating you in the audience. It's just like every decision we made on Saints was about when people come see this film, what are they going to feel? And that, and we focused on that, you know what I mean? And we awesome. want to give them. Yeah, we want, we to, want give to give them. Exactly. But when we're making studio films, we actually have to take that thing, even though it's ours, it's deeply has your DNA all smothered on top of it. We have to hand that to somebody else. Right. And then they have to go make sense of it. Number one, when you give it to them, they have to go make sense of it for somebody else as well. And so, you know, we, we lose that connection or that kind of, that, that scholarship essentially that we have with our audiences who make smaller films where the analysis and the criticism is, is part of the beloved journey. You know what I mean? Where we're making bigger films, the scholarship is out the window because we're thinking about the box office or whatever it may be. Even though, we, again, even though I'm not assuming that like the thing we're celebrating about YouTube on this call is that we love the fact that your process making Eighth Body Saints is so resonant in your process of making Peter mm -hmm. Pan or making uh, uh, Peach Dragon, you know? Yeah. Um, but that sense of like making Heaven's Gate, where it's just like, I don't care. Like I have to make, this has to make sense for this particular thing. And if we fail at it, that's to be celebrated too. And that's where we learn and that's where we get better the next time. And, you know, um, I think we kind of, we have to, especially our generation, we have to stay focused on that. If nobody else is telling us that they're investing in talent, we have to invest in ourselves, right? 
Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm investing myself. Nobody else is going to invest in me at this moment. I need to invest in myself. And that some of that is just accepting that, you know, I have, you know, I have many ideas going to many, every film I do in there. And I can tell you from scene to scene where stuff didn't work and where I felt like we, we achieved something and the stuff where it didn't work was, was, is the lesson for me is the, is, is the, is the achievement. The stuff where we failed was the achievement. Cause now I know, you know, I can. Yeah. I think you're, you're so right. The idea of, of accepting failure. I mean, I think that it's a struggle for all artists really. I mean, I, I think, um, I, we, it's like we were talking about over the weekend, we all, there's every movie we've, we've made, we can go and look at the things that drive us crazy that nobody else will notice, right. you know, like that. I noticed that if I told you, David, some things you'd be like, what are you know? Because I pointed out and asked you to paint it out. <laughs> Far Malgoja would notice something that drives her crazy that I have like, I don't see, you know, it's like, we're so obsessed in our little details, but that's what makes us, you know, we're striving for uh, not perfection. Cause I don't think perfection is the goal. Um, but we're just driving to sort of tell a story that we we were, we feel is is uh, what we set out to, to do, right? You know, at the end of the day, we we set out to do something. And when I peel down the wall, the pictures on my office every time I finish a movie, that's kind of my moment of zen. You know, it's that moment where you're like, you look at all the images you put up, and you're like, okay, we yeah, I I did it. That's this is what I set out to do. So what I did, I feel good. And then. Or sometimes, you know, there's one set that you're pulling down. You're like, oh, I failed miserably. Let me take those off really quickly. <laughs> But it's like you set out, and I, rem I remember when I, I we got on Saints um, when you when, when you showed up and you got settled into your office, Brad. I remember like walking in one day and you had photos everywhere, and I was like, oh shit, I got stuff in my game. Like Bradford is like really, he's coming with like the, so many amazing references. <laughs> I was like, went in my office, I was like, shit, because I'm used to always like having you know my office is the office with like all the pictures, but yeah. you were you were next level in your office you really like brought it i intimidated all the time about like um and you froze for one the second. stake change they fluctuate from one movie to the next because like i'm always like in a state you what you froze. Wait, I freeze? Okay. yeah okay. i missed the beginning you're back, you're back. i'm back you're back. I was saying that failure is like a big part of my process and it doesn't matter what movie, what scale the movie is at. There's always going to be, it's always going to be embedded in there. Um, and if the stakes change from one project to the next based on all sorts of mitigating circumstances, be that budget or personnel or who is involved or who, who I'm worried about letting down this time. But I always like, the unfortunate and fortunate thing about this art form that we with is that it also is. And so even on Ain't the Body Saints, where the budget was microscopic, it was, it was big to me. Am I freezing up here? I just got a message saying my internet. You're good now. Yeah. You're good. I might have to give you guys a tour of my house and go to a better, a better spot. <laughs> but, but I like one thing I'm always concerned about is like, yes, I do. I do find so I take solace in the fact that I have been able to fail and learn from those failures. That is an achievement. And I always every failure I make, whether it's in film or in life or wherever, you know, I try to that's something to learn from. And that's a good thing. It's a gain. But when you're making a movie, it's you're also 
using 90% of the time you're using someone else's money and you are creating something for other people and, and you wonder how much personal failure can you foist upon somebody else, whether it's a financier of your movie or the audience going to see it. Um, and that's like a balance that I'm just like always cognizant of because I like the fact that my movies have scars on them. Like, you know, you can see the, you can see the, the rough patches. You can see where we ran out of time sometimes. You can, you, not everyone's gonna be able to see it, but it's there. You can see the, you can see the, um, the part of the days where, like on Green Knight, you'll watch that. And I, I'm 90% I sure you'll be able to tell which days I was sick. Cause I was like deathly ill on that movie. And I bet you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to tell. Um, and, Cause it's there, it's, in, it's embedded in the movie and most people won't be able to, but I think some people will. And that is stuff that like, I like that it's in the movie. I like that it's embedded in there, but I also always want to make sure that I'm not going to be letting people down. That's a big deal to me too. It's like, I, I take res this responsibility very seriously and, and I'm not just making movies to try things out. I'm, I'm an experimenter. Experimenting is a big part of who I am as a filmmaker and curiosity and trying to push things and just testing things. But I also know that like ultimately I can't just like show off a failed experiment. It has to work on some degree. Mm. So trying to like find a, that balance is, I know that not every movie is gonna be perfect. It's never, that's never gonna be the case, but like whether it's like a tiny indie movie or a big studio movie, like finding that right balance between those fail with those failures and the things that are actually working and making sure that one isn't overtaking the other. Um, or, that I, or that I'm fetishizing something. You know, like, that's the other thing is like, I don't want this movie to be, any given movie to be like a testament to something that I learned, you know? <laughs> the movie, that needs to be for me and not for everybody else. Yeah, and then learning from those failures and then taking that knowledge with you on the next one. <laughs> and just use, I mean, failures, it, you, it's so important to fail so that you can grow. I mean, there's no growth without some kind of disappointment or failure. You know, I think I think I learned something on every movie, um, and usually it's you know it's where I fail is where I learn. I, I don't learn when I when I when I you know hit it out of the park and it's like amazing. I'm not learning on those that much as I am where I failed somewhere. Where even even if it's not noticeable to everybody else, if I I feel it, that's where I'm really learning and trying to make mental notes of of what that um, what that experience was and how to to adapt and how to grow in the next one. But it's so important. Um, and it, it is interesting when you, cause you work with someone so much and if you work with the same person, uh, growing alongside them and then, and figuring out, um, you know, when I go and work with other people, when I come back and work with David, I'm always just so like appreciative. <laughs> just so like, why don't I just, you know, just, it's just so nice to work with your friends and with someone that you trust. It's, it's just that feeling of, of knowing that you're going to put in 100% and just trusting what will come out at the other end and not have, and just having that, that, that I, there's so much, I mean, I'm just so grateful for that feeling of knowing like I'm going to work so hard in this thing. And it's like, I trust in David so much that I just know that it'll be something I'll be proud of on the other side. And that's sort of, you can't always have, you'd always know that, you know, you sometimes you sign up on a movie and you don't, you're, you don't know, you have no idea until it comes out. Right. I'm always, even it's like I'm just proud of our collaboration in the end it's not even so much about the movie but it's, Brad, it's, I'm wondering like this is something I think about maybe this is like did I freeze up again oh. no you're good okay 
this like when we were first talking about saints eight years ago and we were talking about you know we were sitting there just going through the movie shot listing it and talking about visual influences and we both i remember talked about at some point like our movie our movie's worth it like yeah we were both talking about like um how fine art can be a way to express these things that is more limited in terms of audience but also you're using the same tool set you're using the same um a lot of the same you know a creative you know part of your brain to like get these ideas out into a visual medium and that's something i still think about sometimes like is is like all of this effort like and money and all of that stuff and and the and the and the failures that get projected on screen for audiences all around the world like is it is it irresponsible to do that i don't think it is but i do check myself a lot and i do think about the other avenues in which i could communicate this way and i have to weigh like those a lot just to remind myself why it is that like I engage with all the things that I engage with in the art and commerce of filmmaking. Right. And I wonder if that's still, I remember, you know, you were describing to me this installation you wanted to do that sounded amazing. And I was just like, I was like, everything we're talking about is all right there. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> and, and I wonder if you still, if that, if, if that tension still exists in your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I mean, film, yeah, making films is put like this. I, I I definitely know that I'm. I guess I, the way I wrestle with it is like on a human level, politically. I know this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this is not where I'm going to find the justice that I want, you know, the justice that I want for my children, the justice that I want for my community, the justice I want for humanity. Like, I think, yes, there was a moment where, you know, um, in my development, I watched films that I think were, that changed everything. You know what I mean? Like, I think um, the hour of the furnace changed everything. You know, I think the Battle of Chile changed everything. I think Black Girl changed everything. I think Killer Sheep changed everything. Um, yes, I think I think Do the Right Thing changed everything. You know what I mean? Um, I think there are those blips in time where cinema does rise to the occasion. But I think on many levels, I think it. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's indulgent. You know what I mean? I, I do struggle with that in my own flesh and blood body two feet on the ground you know I, it's hard for me to reconcile you know what's happening outside my my door and the very privileged life we have as filmmakers asking people to give us hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to try some stuff and fail like that doesn't work that's not pragmatic it's, that's not prudent to me and that's not that's not and that and that and some of that goes beyond me that's like my grandparents talking to me that's less my parents i think my parents are probably more of our spirit but my grandparents really left um an impression on me with regards to that but then there's a spiritual part of me that just knows that i'm doing exactly what i'm supposed to be doing you know what i mean like i'm here doing this because this is what the most high wants me to be doing you know, and I cannot run from that. 
And I try, I try all the time. Every year I make a promise to myself that I'm done with this, you know? <laughs> and then I end up somewhere on the other side of the planet with the most incredible human beings I'm ever gonna meet, you know what I mean? And it's like, that never gets old, you know? It's like, just when you thought you met a community of people that you're never gonna be separated from, you're gonna continue to make movies with, the real thing is that you probably won't. And those who can repeat it, can continue to make films like you like you two to repeat it, that's like a blessing. I just like, that's a blessing and that and that, but that's not, that's not, um, that's not the case for most of us who are using film to work out whatever trauma, whatever thing we're working out. Um, so like, you know, spiritually I have to, and, and, and these days, honestly, I'm leaning more towards, I'm, com I'm committing, I'm trying to commit 100% of my creative um, normal self, quotidian self, quotidian self to the, to the, to the, to the spiritual part. You know what I mean? That I'm not going to question it anymore. I'm not going to try to come up with ways to pivot away or, or try to get out of it. Like I got to fulfill the, um, fulfill the thing that I've been commanded to do. And I don't, and let me say this though, I don't think it's like some divine order. I don't think that God cares about films. Like, I don't believe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't no. think, like, I don't think the most high has kissed, blessed this and said, oh, this is the one that is going to change humanity. Like, no way, no how. But I know that, like, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And the one thing that I'm trying to do now is just really reflect on how my children, um, how my children see me invested in this thing. You know what I mean? Like how they reflect on it. So what I want to try to do is if I want to show them anything, it's not that I walk out every day and I'm so happy, I feel so good to be a filmmaker and what a great life and look at this thing and uh, we're doing, you know, uh, you know, with filmmakers, a lot of filmmakers do. That's not what I'm trying to show them. What I am trying to show them is the conflict. I want them to see the conflict. Mm -hmm. I want them to see me engaged in my spiritual practice as a way to deflect all of the things in my art practice that don't jive with me. But I also wanna show them that filmmaking is part of my spiritual practice because what it's allowing me to do is take what's in my mind's eye, all the things that I've gone through as a child of this universe, but also all of the things that my ancestors have had to struggle through, uh, whether it be here or in, in another cosmos, like I'm projecting that through a piece of glass that then inverts it and turns it into beams of, and rays of light and then project that into the world. And that is, that's no, that's, that's spiritual. That's, that, that is a spirited experience that cannot be described by mankind's lack of vocabulary. You know, like these are, these are things that we have been gifted to show the world that I too have a struggle, I too have a story, I too have a mother, I too have a father, I also love children. You know what I mean? This is what cinema is allowing us to do. You know, it's to take those very pixelated abstract things and turn them into physical objects that are still abstract and we have to fill in the gaps of persistence of vision and all those things. But yeah, I just want to really want to show my children that like, I go make movies, but I'm also humbled by God. You know what I'm saying? I go make movies, I'm also humbled by my ancestors. I go make movies and I have a good time, but I also, I'm trying to strike the balance between the gift I've been given, the responsibility I've been given, 
and knowing that it's a responsibility and a gift, like, because I was not the kid that woke up and felt entitled to be a filmmaker or felt, I know some, I know some, hey, hey, you guys are like filmmakers, you know what I mean? Like, I was supposed to be a mortician. So I'm like, I'm always like struggling to, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. That's sort of, that's kind of a common thread in the three of us, I feel like. I don't think we, any of us, three of us grew up like thinking like we were meant to be filmmakers or felt any of that entitlement. We sort of, you know, grew up in different, I didn't go to like any uh, film schools and David, I know you didn't, but it's like we found a path through a different way. And I think is always important. I always want to express that to young filmmakers, especially who, who might be listening that, you know, film school is in AFI and NYU, Columbia, whatever, the only path forward to making movies. And, you know, I think a lot of, if I'm just speaking to uh, young filmmakers who are wondering how, it's like, I always think of David as an amazing example of someone who like, didn't have that training, but it's like he has a, he's a storyteller. And like as, as a storyteller, you found you found a way to tell stories. You know, it's like you you just keep going and it's like I don't think you don't need to do that. You don't have to go on that path. And I always just feel the same with with when I'm talking to production designers who, you know, young kids who want to be production designers. Like you don't have to like go to design school. You have to do these things. Like learn how to read a script and learn how to like see the story in your mind. Like you need to connect to that mind's eye that Bradford you're talking about. If you connect to that mind's eye and you can see the story and then you can understand how to start to tell that story in the different ways that film language works. Like that's, that's the first knowledge, that's the first type of film school you need is like, can you actually read a script and see it in your mind and, be able, and understand what you want to like say or can you write a script and see what you want to say? But you don't have to go to film school for that stuff. That's right. what I think. Anyways. <laughs> and I was going to say, you know, I think too, piggybacking on that, Jade, I think that, you know, a thousand years ago in some, you know, Ethiopian Orthodox church off Lake Tana, there was like a young monk child who was reading from the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know what I mean? Like massive orthodox bible was reading but at night and then there was a flicker you know what i mean there was a candle that was flickering around the bible and he turns and he looks and on this on the wall he sees he sees himself but he also sees like a manifestation of what he's he or she is reading you know and that is the that is not NYU. that's not ucla that's not usc that's the first film school right there you know what i mean that's the first film school and then i think also too it's like to make it more localized for us, you know, one of the things that happens is whether it be in film school or we're not doing a film school, we get totally checked out of our, our storytelling models. Like for me, it's, I'm always trying to remember the way structurally my grandmother used to tell us stories or my grandfather used to tell us stories. And that is so unique. The meta of that, the DNA of that is so special, so unique to you. How do we take that 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 thing and translate that into transpose that into inject that into story? And I think the failure of most institutions is that they try to draw that out of you. They try to get you to throw that away so you can take on these very Eurocentric, Aristotelian, three-act structure things. You know what I mean? And that's not time is time is so relative. Time, and that's what story is all about anyway. It's about time, right? It's about organizing time. And I think I'm I'm totally with you, Jade, that like I think, you know, this is kind of interesting that we have this conversation in this time that like a lot of those institutions are, are being challenged right now. Some of them will not exist because they were living high on the hog and they were living check to check and they weren't 
a man, they weren't living up to their promises. And a lot of that is gonna, I mean, it's happening with my kids in school. It's like, man, my kids may never go back to school just because <laughs> the, the, the spot got blown now. Now I'm seeing, man, I can be at home with my kids. We can do this homeschool thing. We can have fun and like hike and they can still learn and be smart. Like, why am I sending them to school and paying all this money and like, no way, it's never, you know what I mean? Why would I go back to that? I think that's what's ultimately gonna happen with these, this institutionalized film making spaces. They have to now, um, their identity is gonna be dependent on each individual storyteller, not like the model that sits above everybody and how far can you get to touch that model and that is gonna guarantee your success. I mm -hmm. think that's all done now. I think it has, and if it's not done, we should try to make it be done <laughs> and, get, and, and get, get focused on, you know, what we all dealing with right now is a certain level of trauma because we don't have knowledge of self. We don't have, we don't know who we are. We don't know our story. We don't know our history. And that's what's depleting all of us. That's the reason why we're having a hard time right now. That's the reason why we're struggling because we've been told a, a, a variation of a story that was supposed to include everybody, but only included a few. And so I think now that's going to be the big pivot is that my grandmother's story is worthy. You know what I mean? It, it, I'd be institutionalized and the only person that can institutionalize it is me because I know the story best. And so I think it's a really interesting time to um, wrestle. I think it's going to yield really interesting films. I just think. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. The flailing, so. the flailing that I know I've felt over the past few months, like that I think has been pretty universal is indicative of so much that I've needed to address. And that I think culturally we've needed to address like on a personal level, on a societal level, cultural level, there is like this, you know, this sense of flailing at the moment that is gradually being cauterized into something. And I think hopefully into something good. But we were talking about this over the weekend. Like, I don't, I never wish a global pandemic on any society, but right. Right. that is not grounds for self-improvement. But the things that we've learned in this time are necessary, again, on a personal level and on a societal level, and those are things that I don't want to lose sight of. Like those are like the, all of the all of the the terror and the discomfort and also the, the in these months that we've been in our respective homes, just wondering what the next day will bring. Those are things that I've. It's been an opportunity to work through things and to learn and to grow, and to also realize what matters. Like what matters about what we do, you know? And those are things I don't have the answers to yet. I'm still, I'm still processing it, but it's given me time to like actually realize how important it is to look inward and find those things. And that's something that for me, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting about once like we have a vaccine and once those institutions open back up again, you know, like I want to make sure like I'm, I don't want to go back to normal to a large degree. Like there are certain things, yes, I would love to be able to like go to the movies again. I can't wait. Get me to a theater tomorrow, please. But I also want the movies that I'm seeing to be like, you know, I want to be watching them with the mindset of like what we've been through. And, I, and, and the, what we've been through uh, changes for everybody. But on a cultural level, I think we're all like realizing we're going through some shit and that's necessary. And we need to like not, we need to not reset once, once the movie theaters are open again. Yeah. Right, right. Well, shit, you in Texas, they open. Not, 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 not near me. They're allowed to be open, but they're no, not, not open. I remember I went to this Michelle and Dago cello concert, and 
this is like five albums in. It's like Conjure Woman or something. And somebody wanted her to play a, a song from Plantation Lullabies. And she was like, man, I don't play songs from that album anymore. So I'm not going to even ask us to talk about Ain't Nobody Saints no more. Sorry, all y'all online. <laughs> Well, let's talk about that film. It's not happening. Dave told you he ain't seen it in seven years. So it's Me not, neither. It's not going. I, I don't remember. But how often do you watch, rewatch any of your movies? I watched them once. I have a hard time going back. Like one time, I don't like to watch movies I've designed. I, you know, I, told, I always like to tell the story, David, is that when I went to see Old Man and the Gun, because I didn't work on that movie, I was like, I don't know if this is your best movie or if it's just the movie I enjoyed the most watching because I didn't design it, but that was just a joy to watch. I just loved it so much because like, I wasn't paying attention to every detail, remembering it through the lens of being a filmmaker on it. I could actually just sit back and it was, and it was kind of this gift. I remember feeling such um, anxiety that I couldn't make that movie. And then it was actually turned into maybe a gift for both of us. I won't speak for you, David, but um, it was a gift to, for me to not be able to work with you on that and then be able to sort of appreciate coming back and then watch, being able to watch your film and enjoy you as a filmmaker without having been also a filmmaker on it was sort of this great gift I wasn't expecting. I get that all the time because you guys get to go make movies and I get to go yeah. see them. And it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know I've texted you both like just screenshots of like your name and credits. Because I'm just like, look, you made this thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel that all the time, Brad, when I watch your movies. I'm like, man, so good. <laughs> yeah. One day, one day. I don't, I don't see him. One day we'll reunite. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to revisit. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, I, I, just having to go back and, and watch. I find I, I'm anxious just watching them for the first time. Like, I don't. I don't remember, you know, enough time goes by that like, I don't remember what scenes are in Ain't Nobody Saints anymore. Like, yeah. we shot a lot and some of it's in the movie, some of it's not. And I cut 10 minutes out after Sundance. Some of that is, you know, maybe was a game, maybe what wasn't, I can't remember. Like, I don't know. Matt, I don't know if I've seen that. I think I only saw it at Sundance. No, you saw it. You yeah. saw it. Again? Yeah, you saw it at... Uh, uh, oh, New York. Yeah, New York. All right, but, all right, okay. but it's definitely like one of those things where like, maybe in... It's been seven years since I've seen it. I would give myself like a 10 year rule. I'll probably wait longer than that. Maybe it should be a 20 year rule. Someday I really look forward to watching these movies when I've forgotten all, when I've forgotten everything. Well, you know what's gonna happen is Criterion, they need to stop fronting. <laughs> they need to stop fronting and they need to go, they need to rescan Ain't the Body Saints in 4K and let us do it, let us redo it. Let us- Can I tell you, I, I talked to Photokim about it when I was there. You did, right? And they've got all the negatives. They're like, they're like, they're like, this is weird. We didn't realize we had these negatives, but we have them all. And I was like, uh, they gave me a, they gave me a price tag, and I was like, let me call you back. <laughs> <laughs> we need to hand that over to whoever's that cry. I got somebody's email in here from Criterion. We should. I hope they're listening. And if anybody yeah. knows them, tell them they should put "Ain't Them Body Saints" on Criterion. And while I'm at it, you need to put "Mother of George" and "Rest of the City" on there too. And Ghost Story. And Ghost Story. I'm surprised that they didn't. They didn't. I would. I would, I would do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I would. I would do the, the three set box set. I put Where's Kira on there too because I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. One. There you go. There you go. I have. I, we got. We got a little bit of time left, and I want to give you guys have two sp questions that have come to you too, and I want to. Um, I want to give time for you to answer them. Um, this question is for you, Jay. You have done 
both biopics such as I, Tanya, and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. What challenges arise when you are trying to capture specific time eras and recreation iconic and recreating iconic moments? Do you find that there are added pressures to get certain elements right? I say this as someone who lives in Pittsburgh and knows how important Mr. Rogers is to the area. Yeah, I mean, on, on, on a, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, we were shooting in Pittsburgh with Pittsburgh crew and some people who had worked on Mr. Rogers' show. And it was, of course, really important to get that exactly right. Uh, luckily, there's so much footage, you know, um, to get that right. But on Naitanya, which I, I think I might have spoken about when we spoke over the weekend, what I really loved about Craig is that he would always say, like, it's a movie. Like, don't let yourself be chained to this idea that it's like history, we're making a movie. And at the end of the day, we are. We're, even when you're making a documentary, you're putting a camera somewhere, you're pointing it, it's a point of view, it's, you know, objectivity. It's like, so we were, we're always making a choice, no matter what, when you're making a film, right? So with Itania, we made a lot of uh, creative stylistic choices. We were challenged with the Olympics because it, for us to be able to show those Olympics, like Lillehammer, we had to really, to show all the um, advertisements, we had to recreate them exact. That was the only way they would let us do it. Like it had to be exact, like the signage had to be very exact. So we were really, really trying to get, and there's so much footage of like Tanya Harding and we really wanted to bring people back to that time. So did we hard on ourselves to get exactly right? Yes, but also we were allowing for like creative growth and to allow for it to be, you know, not be so tied to history. And I think it's always important to allow for that and not get so, I mean, when we made a medieval movie with David, it's medieval, but we were certainly not tied to any kind of historical like representation of like the era at all. It's like, you know, so it's, it's nice to have that freedom, creative freedom to decide what parts you're trying to hit and get right and which parts you're allowing for like creative expression because sometimes it's like you're trying to tell a story. You want to make sure that the, the vision you put forth is like going to express that story. It doesn't, you don't want to tie it back because it's like, this is what her apartment looked like, or this is what it looked like. If no one else in the world has ever seen what that apartment looked like, because it took me like, you know, a month just to track one photo down, like I could probably, and then when I find it, I'm like, oh, Huh. This, isn't, uh, this isn't really it's not really giving the emotion i want it's okay to throw that out the window you have to allow yourself it's, this is an art form right it's creative expression so i think it's important to know which parts you want to get right mr rogers everyone knows what that looks like you want to get that right but then you know his house there's room no one's see, seen his house you know you can have some space to be creative there right and tom hanks is mr rogers so it's like you already if we were happy with just like it being exact we would have just stuck with the documentary and never made a movie but we're deciding to make a movie so you're allowing to sort of tell the story and, and whatever the, the director and the storytellers want to tell so it's yeah you can give yourself some space right. to be expressive but uh this is for you david um you have frequently collaborate you have frequently hold on some grammatical things here. <laughs> okay. uh, you have frequent collaborators on your films, Jade Healy being one of them. What kinds of qualities are you looking for your team on set? And what is it like bringing in someone new to your core team of frequent collaborators? How do you, as a director, balance all of the energies and perspectives people are bringing on set to get your project where you want it to be? And that's a, a really good question. Like you, when you especially bring new people into it, and that's something that 
I kind of touched on earlier when we were talking about like our first meeting and you, you really just try to find, this is like a bad version of this. This is like this most simplistic version. This is something I heard David Gordon Green say a long, long time ago in a, back when I went to a Q and A that he did for Undertow, I think. And he was like, it's more important for me to find like uh, a dolly grip who has the same taste in music than I do, than someone who like, has done, you know, push the dolly from Martin Scorsese. Communicate with in terms of like music they like, uh, and they can be like, be like, you know, just think about this song while you're pushing the dolly, as opposed to like, you know, <laughs> resting on the morals of their resume. I've always held that to be true. Like I've always like kind of like really tried to like, I'm, I'm never like asking people like, give me your iTunes playlist. Like, what do you think of uh, when you read the script? What are you listening to? But I definitely like look for that type of kinship. And sometimes it's a match made in heaven when you bring someone new into that environment. You know, like James and Toby, you guys know them. Like we've made a bunch of movies with them and we all sort of like get along and just hang out all the time. And, and we are always like, how can we expand our family? How can we bring new voices into the mix? And we always want to, you know, bring new people into the mix, to bring new voices into our team, into our, into our family. And we want to support people. and like you really do just sort of like go on that gut instinct and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but usually you're, you're, you know, I'd say we're usually like the people that we've brought into our creative collective, our creative group are usually pretty great and we keep making movies with them. And if they don't fit, we just don't. And that's like, you know, if there are people that we uh, part ways with, there are people that we keep calling. It's definitely like uh, an organic process, but when you've clicked with somebody, when you really click with somebody, you just really, it makes the job easier. And I won't, I don't want to like, I'm always like hesitant to like talk about how hard it is to make movies. Cause again, we're just so lucky that we get to do this, but it's definitely like, if you can make, you know, of all of the millions of decisions you have to make each day, if you can remove one of them because you trust somebody to do exactly what you know they're going to do and what they're going to excel with, that just like makes your life better. Like you can allow someone to just present something to you that you know is gonna be great. Mm. And you're not babysitting, you're not handholding, you're just like trusting your collaborators. And that's the environment that we try to create, like that, that sense of trust. And, and that's you know something that is a work in process. You're always trying to build that from one movie to the next and carry things over and, and learn from what you've done in the past films. But when you're looking for like, when you're, you know, like, for example, Jade, when we, uh, when our, with the old man, the gun schedule shifted and you weren't able to work on that, I had to find a new production designer for the first time ever. I, I was like, forced one upon you. <laughs> and I was like, how do I do this? And, and a big part of it was like talking to Jade about who would I work well with. And this was the same, Brad, when I was looking for a DP for Saints and Jay and Lars were like, I think you and Brad would get along really well. So you start there, you start talking with friends about like who should fill this part, who should, who would be a good member to bring onto the team, who should we invite into the family. And I make it sound, it sounds like mafia inviting into the family. It's no, not like that at all. <laughs> but, um, there, there has also, just for clarity, yeah, there hasn't been like any like disasters of people that we just never really ever wanted to, I mean, our, our family is ever growing. And I want to just take this moment to shout out to uh, Palermo. We love Andrew Palermo and uh, and and Anel and Dutch. 
Dutch. Yeah. We've got to give Dutch. We've got to give Dutch, who's, who's Dutch been. Time. I've made so many movies with Dutch that I didn't make with David. He's sort of one of the crossovers. Mangoja also uh, made movies with her without David. Um, who are we forgetting? Lou. So these are some of our family members. Here's what it comes down. Watching. To. Here's <laughs> what it comes down to. Ultimately, like, do you want to hang out when you're out yeah. at the end of the day? Yes. That's it. That's like it. each other. Then you're good. You make a, you want to have, but not just rap at the end of the day. Also, you want to sit in a van with them for like many hours. That's something I always think about, especially when I know I'm going in for a job interview. It's like, well, like this person's gonna, I'm gonna want to sit in a scout van with this director for like hours and hours next to them in some uncomfortable like 16 passenger van yeah. <laughs> and like be okay with that. And then you know, because you know, we spend a lot of time in vehicles together in close quarters. So that is the family. It's like you make jokes, they're laughing. And then you also in between that come up with ideas of all the time for the movie. So it's, it's a, it's like that the friendship and the collaboration is like so linked. You can't really separate the two when it's, you know, yeah. or hopefully that's how it, that's how, that's what you always strive for it to be that it's like that, that link. Yeah. So it's, oh. it's, it's all that, all of the above. Yeah. Great. All right, y'all. That's a good way to end it. Make movies with your friends. Yeah, make, make movies. Movie. Yeah, I think there's someone that asked a question about what advice you'd give for someone trying to make, uh, get into making movies and, and uh, make movies with your friends. <laughs> That's it. Find uh, some other friends who want to make movies. David's producers, he's known, he's known Toby and James forever. You know, they started as friends yeah. now. You know, that's it. Yeah. Find some. yeah. I just lead, lead, lead with your heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, thank y'all. Thank y'all for giving us your time, your energy. Of course. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Dre. Let's let's not wait so long for uh, you know. Let's not wait for a round table, Brad, to, to get all together again. I know, I know, I know. I gotta I gotta get out of Mexico first. Once I yeah. get out of Mexico, we'll uh, we'll come find you. Yes, wait for me. <laughs> Canadian vacation in your future. I see. I tell you, I told, I told, I told David, I I gotta start doing the thing like this. This okay, this year is for for David Lauer. I'm gonna wait for David. Yeah, let's uh, line up on that. Let's line it up. You gotta, you gotta bring it back, and we'll make Heaven's Gate that, that next time. Yes. We make a remake. Okay. All right, you heard it here first. The whole thing. It's been announced. The whole thing. Yes. Uh, if anyone from Variety or Deadlines listening, it's just been announced. But before we go, we have to, uh, I want to thank uh, Aaron, Doug, Maria, Matthew, everybody who uh, puts these roundtables together. Thank you so much um, for providing all of us these moments to reflect and listen, watch, learn. Um, yeah, and uh, we look forward to having everybody who's on watching and listening. Look forward to having you back for the next one. And good luck, y'all, with uh, with Peter Pan. I hope everything is yeah. popping soon. Good luck in Mexico. We get back to work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Safely. Safely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, y'all be well. Have a good night. All right, y'all too. Peace. Bye. Later.